Miracy. The idea of, of putting people into groups to help them with implementation was nothing revolutionary, but it sounds like what's been making a difference in the results that he's getting is the attention to detail and how that is constructed and really thinking through like, hey, this is what the experience is going to be like from beginning to end for someone joining one of these groups, not just kind of saying like, hey, you're in a membership and you'll figure it out. Hello and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Ari Ini, the Director of Growth at Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey, Abe. Hey there, Ari. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it, or both. Today, we welcome Michael Bungay-Stanier to the show. Michael is the founder of MBS Works and author of the book, How to Begin, Start Doing Something That Matters. Welcome to Course Lab, Michael. Hey, I'm excited to be here. I'm a geek about what it takes to develop and design really wonderful learning experiences. So I think this is going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. So to kick us off, could you give us kind of the 30,000 foot view of yourself and how you came to the world of course building and online course sure. building as well. Yeah. So I'm currently living in Toronto, the New York of Canada, There you go. <laughs> but I'm Australian originally and grew up happily in Australia, left Australia when I was in my mid twenties. I won a road scholarship that took me to England, to Oxford to study, which of course is its own experience about how learning happens. There are <laughs> there some dark sides and some light sides on that. Mm. And from my time in Oxford, where I did a master's degree in literature, I moved into the world of innovation. So I spent time helping to invent and create new products and new services for people and involved me running focus groups, talking to people, and then trying to figure out what they were whispering about what they really wanted. But this is my first taste of learning and development on two levels. One is the very act of doing a focus group is an act of being consumer-centric. And it means that you're now putting the people who are going to be using the product at the heart of the conversation. And so it has kind of stained me in a good way to think about how design works, because often course design, people get a bit caught up on how important their content is. I'm like, ah, your content is overrated. <laughs> the experience of your people is really the central part of it. And the problem you're solving for them is such a key part of it. But with this company also, I do my first facilitation and training. I moved to a consulting world, moved from London to Boston, Boston to Toronto in 2001. And shortly after that, set up my first company called Box of Crayons. Now, when I started, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had some coaching skills, some facilitation skills, some design skills. It was a bit of a grab bag, but Box of Crayons found its focus in offering practical coaching skills to busy managers and leaders. So the book I am best known for is a book called The Coaching Habit, which came out seven years ago and sold a million and some copies. And Box of Crayons brings training programs to managers and leaders in Fortune 1000 companies to help them be more coach-like, to change their behavior. And then the other company I run, MBS.Works, is more B2C. Box of Crayons, B2B, selling to businesses. MBS.Works B2C selling to individuals. And here we've got two problems we solve. One is people who are in midlife going, 
what next for me? What am I doing with my life? I'm 50. I'm still relatively young and vital, but my kind of formal career is, you can see the horizon for that. What am I doing? So we have a program that supports that and a membership site. And then we also provide support for people in smaller businesses who are coming in wanting kind of management skills as well. Okay. So these are the kind of two courses that, that MBS Works is focusing on. Yeah, that's right. So we've actually got two programs in MBS.Works and one to be launched. And then in Box of Crayons has kind of a singular piece of intellectual mm. property, but it has programs built out in all different formats so that it can scale globally awesome. on big companies. So something that I find interesting is of the different problems that you solve, I feel like a lot of them are concrete, except for that one, you know, what next program. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to that? It seems to me like it's very different versus teaching management skills or teaching coaching or that kind of thing. Yeah. So part of the dilemma we have with MBS.Works is we have really two brands and two different problems that we solve under a singular umbrella. And we're actually just going through a review at the moment to decide whether we keep it like that or whether we split them up. But in terms of making that program feel more tangible Mm. for you, the book I wrote a year and a half ago is called How to Begin, Start Doing Something That Matters. And that's the book from which this program flows. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to that topic? Because like the other pieces that you teach are a bit more prescriptive. They're skills that you build. Yeah, yeah, sure. But here it's more of a inner exploration that people need to go through. And so I'm curious about how you teach that. Yeah. So there are two different experiences that people go through. The first is the program that they go through is actually a quest to find their best guess at their worthy Mm. goal. This is this thing that's thrilling, important, and daunting. You're like, you're just trying to figure it out. (laughs) So it's actually uh, helping them understand what thrilling, important, and daunting is, helping them go through a process of iterating it because your first draft of your worthy goal is never going to be your final one. So it teaches them how to go through three fast iterations to kind of get closer. You're playing with the knobs on your mixing board of thrilling, important, and daunting, but you're trying to get most of them as high as possible. So you're like, this is the best expression of a goal that will keep pulling me forward during the times I want to lie down and quit. Because the very nature of a a goal that is daunting means there are times where you're like, it's really hard and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm like, exactly. So you're doing the work to articulate that. You're doing the work in this course to figure out what does it mean to commit to this? With so many of these courses, you're like, well, it's pretty good and I've done the theoretical work, but I'm not going to do anything about it. So there's a work around, all right, what does commitment look like? What are you going to say yes to? What will you say no to if you really say a strong yes to this? So there's that process. And then there's a bit of teaching around how do you take the first steps? So this doesn't get them to complete their worthy goal. It gets them to define their worthy goal and get a bit of momentum going. But then what follows that is an invitation to join a membership group. And so the membership group is the community. So a place of encouragement, a place of support. We have people work in small groups, like groups of five, and they support each other through cycles of action and commitment and then moments of reflection and then a set a new cycle of action. And so this is less about, so let me keep giving you more content. 
this is the, well, let's see, <laughs> because it all falls apart and then reforms again differently when you're actually kind of encountering reality. So the conspiracy, as it's called, is the community that deepens the learning through the doing. And is that facilitated by you and your team or are they a given direction then just working them with themselves essentially in their group? Yeah, we have spent a lot of time building infrastructure that self-facilitates the group. So when people join, there's a really strong onboarding process. We've really overinvested in that. I, I've just joined so many membership groups where I spend the first time going, I don't, what's going on? I feel confused and disorientated and lonely and like I've wasted my time and money joining this. It's like I'm in a party, cool people, and I'm in the corner holding a sweaty drink going, this is a mistake. So we spend a lot of time on the onboarding process. We set them up in groups of four or five. We have a really clear six-week cycle that they go through, and we set minimum expectations of how often they'll meet in that time. I teach once a month, so my contribution is to teach once a month. But we host on Circle, which is a platform that is designed to support communities. And there's ongoing things like opportunities to work together. So that classic turn on your screen and just sit for an hour and do your work with other people. So we have built infrastructure that keeps inviting people to stay engaged and to keep making progress, but we're doing it in a way that is trying to have people also build their own sense of independence and interdependence with other people in the community rather than a kind of hub and spoke thing where everybody looks to me as the you know, so-called guru, which is A, exhausting for me and a bit boring and a bit of a burden, but also more importantly, kind of goes against my philosophy, which is like, I'm trying to de-guru the world and have people find their own wisdom and their own community and their own support. That's awesome. And one additional benefit is also that it scales beautifully. And it scales. That's right. How did you arrive at that structure? Well, the six-week cycle, it's like six weeks on, two weeks off, is a classic agile structure. So from kind of project management, which is you make your commitment, you work as hard as you can on the thing that you're working on for six weeks, then you stop and you mm. reorient. And what's powerful about that for me is that in six weeks, you can make a lot of progress, but also if in six weeks you've chosen the wrong thing to work on, it's only six weeks. So the opportunity cost isn't too great. You get a chance to kind of reorient around that. It felt like a, an unscalable and unsustainable act to make a membership site that was about delivering new content or more information. I'm like, it's about community and it's about making progress together. So we experimented with it, Abe. We started off with slightly larger groups, but right from the very start, we had this idea of small groups working together, making progress, building friendships, building community, doing the work. Just kind of interested in how you would link that to a larger philosophy or how you think about designing programs in general, I think a lot of people tend to approach courses from the perspective of content, right? Or like, hey, I need to provide content and, and get very locked into that way of thinking. I guess kind of speaking to other course creators, you know, how would you guide people to think about it from a, a different perspective, I guess? Yeah. Well, I have a very strong opinion about this, which is my goal is I'm always asking whether it's a book or a program or a speech what's the least I can teach people that would be the most useful? Because I think often 
course creators are adding content as a safety net to prove a how smart they are and how much they know but also you surely can't complain about this program because it is stuffed full of stuff and so it takes a certain confidence to keep stripping content back so there is space for people to actually sit with the limited amount of content you're giving them and wrestle with it and be with it and work with it and i just know that most of the time my working philosophy and this is science-based in principle if not in exact details is i assume that people's brains are full after six minutes like they've got about six minutes of you pouring content into them before their brains are now full. And then content is like pouring water into a full glass. You're like, yeah, <laughs> congratulations, you've got wet carpet. Look, you may have an empty jug going, look how much I've poured out. But you're like, you haven't poured that into a, a glass. You've just got a wet carpet. I'm like, six minutes, give them a chance to reset, clear the cash, drink the glass, and then go again. And so it creates a whole discipline around not just how do I keep stripping content out, but how do I design it in a way that teaches a bit, engages with it, processes it, clears the cache, teaches the next piece of content. What does that clearing the cache look like? Uh, it's often just a chance to engage in it. So the, the simplest way is to go, great, before I go into the next bit, what was most useful or most valuable about this for you? Write that down. Now turn to the person next to you and share what was most useful or most valuable with that other person or share it in the chat or I'm going to break you into groups of three and you'll go into groups of three on Zoom or in real life and you'll process it and then I'll pull over back and go, hey, so what was most useful or most valuable about that? And I'm like, oh, you thought that? Great. Oh, you thought that? Fantastic. Oh, you got that? So there's this kind of way you're unifying the group. And then I'm like, great. So that was really helpful. I'm glad you found that useful and valuable. So I'm seeding this idea that this process is really useful and valuable. And I'm like, great, now let me get on with the next thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, mean, I feel like a pattern I sometimes see is people kind of set up their course in a sequence somewhat analogous to what you're describing, where it's like, hey, there's some content, and then here's an exercise you should do, and then here's like a discussion question to talk about it with people in the course. Yeah. And you kind of see it's super active at the beginning, and then it yeah. becomes crickets at the end. So yeah. I'm just curious if you have thoughts about how do you kind of keep the energy going? Yeah. Well, you've got to set expectations and disrupt expectations. So if people go, oh, I see the pattern that's always happening here. Oh, they're about to ask me for another talk about it with a partner. I'm kind of getting bored with that. So A, I ask people right at the start of a course, how will you collude with yourself to opt out of this course? I just say, look, if we're doing an online course, statistics tell you 5% of you are going to finish this course. Now, do you want to be in the 5% or the 95%? Because you've got a choice around this. And you can say, look, I'm going to do all I can on my end to make this amazing and useful and practical for you. But what do you already know about yourself in terms of how you get in your own way of finishing these things? What do you need? And, you know, you offer opinions. Do you need an accountability buddy? Do you need something from me to be checking in on you? Do you need a way that you disrupt the course? Or you have four mini courses. Because I'm like, you know what? It's really hard for me to finish a 13-week course, but I can finish four three-week courses. Nice. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I like the ideas of the questions of getting people to, re to reflect on what their own motivations and barriers might be. Right. Because 
one of the things that happens with you as a course designer is you go, oh, it's my responsibility to get people to finish their course. And I'm like, well, they're also adults <laughs> making choices. I don't want this to be a patronizing experience. And slightly, when you go, it's my job to get people to finish this course, you're kind of infantilizing the participants in your course. So I'm always going, so how do I treat them as adults? Let me show you the choices you have and let me encourage you to make mm -hmm. the braver choice. But then it's your choice in the end. Yeah, really interesting. I feel like this is something you're very passionate about. So are, just, are there things you'd like to share that you feel like more course creators should be thinking about and, and doing? Well, the other piece of course design that I have found really helpful comes from a kind of upstream, a starting point. And this comes from a, a writer called Don Miller, who wrote a book called Story Brand and a bunch of other books. And he said to me once, people buy medicine, not vitamins. And a lot of course designers are trying to sell vitamins. Oh, look, this is going to supplement your life beautifully. And actually, until you understand the pain or the problem this course solves, you're going to get a pretty anemic uptick because actually you know, people don't buy vitamins, but they do buy medicine. So for many people, and it took me a while to get there, it takes a bit of effort to kind of go, ah, okay, I'm going to speak to the pain. But if you don't understand the pain and you don't understand the problem you're solving, if you don't know what harbor you're sailing to, every wind is the right wind. If you don't know what problem you're solving, every piece of content is useful. But if you know I'm trying to solve this problem, then you get really clear on the content that is helpful for you to share. Something that you mentioned before, and I think this plays into it as well, is share as little as possible, essentially. What is the minimum viable? So I'm curious as to your process for getting there. What can be cut? What should be cut? And how ruthless can you be? I write endless drafts, like that saying, writing is editing. And I think that's true. This little book is about 20,000 words. I wanted it to be under 20,000 words, but we went over. Um, but I gave my editor a really clear brief. I'm like, sub 20,000 words. So stab this through the heart with a red pen. So I get other people to edit. But I'm also just relatively unsentimental about the stuff that I create. So I created lots of courses and written lots of books and written other stuff. But What's out in the world pales in comparison to all the stuff that <laughs> has been cut and abandoned and I've already forgotten about it. Michael, where would be the best place for people to find you and kind of learn more about what you're doing? Well, thanks for asking. So best possible relationship is where people can find out about the new book, how to work with almost anyone. But in general, the website is mbs.works and that gives you access to all the resources and all the courses and all the books that I've got. And Every single book has a bunch of free stuff that comes with it. So you're welcome to come and pillage from mbs.works. We're going to direct people there right now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. This has been awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. I enjoyed it too. Thanks for having me. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show where Abe and Ari will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. It's time for the debrief, and I think it's going to be challenging <laughs> to fit in 
all of the nuggets that Michael shared. He was just dropping knowledge left and right. Indeed he was. There are a lot of different really interesting tidbits here. One of the things that I feel is really useful, one of the last things he said, is connected to what he was saying earlier around keeping it short, only teach the minimum viable, the the least amount possible to create an effect for people, a transformation Mm -hmm. for people, which I think is something that course creators often really, really struggle with because they want to give more and add more. And so that idea of asking others to help and to kind of review what you've come up with and help you see what isn't critical like it's good maybe put it into a file for later but what is actually critical for people to have versus just the nice to haves yeah i mean i really like the idea of thinking about it like editing a book i mean a couple ways one like getting outside perspective because you do get too close to your own stuff and it's, it's hard to be objective but also the idea of, of setting targets, right? Like, hey, I want this book to be under 20,000 words, mm-hmm. or I want this course to be under a certain target or, or targets for different components of the course. And that helps prevent that sort of creep that can just lead things to get too large in, in all kinds of different ways. That's really important on the content design side. To me, the, the core of Michael's message was really that content in some ways is kind of secondary. I mean, we talk a lot about how implementation is generally the harder part of learning and getting results. It can be hard in some cases to convey techniques and ideas effectively, but usually that's more straightforward than getting people to consistently take action on the ideas. Mm -hmm. So I thought his perspective on that was interesting. The idea of, of putting people into groups to help them with implementation was nothing revolutionary, but it sounds like what's been making a difference in the results that he's getting is the attention detail and how that is constructed and really thinking through like, Hey, this is what the experience is going to be like from beginning to end for someone joining one of these groups, not just kind of saying like, Hey, you're in a membership and you'll figure it out. Right. You're in, you're in a co-working group. Best of luck. Yeah. Yeah, that that additional content and that attention to the experience. Again, it's something that often course creators do not pay attention to because they hope that people will just do the work. And so that idea that Michael brought up also of helping people understand what are the ways that they will self-sabotage and kind of come up with that also as part of this process of being aware of it so that as they participate, they can keep an eye out for it. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, it may also be in some ways a legacy of the sort of older paradigm of like, oh, if I just put the perfect content together, then this like mm-hmm. course is done, right? And it, then people just buy it and I sit back and relax. And that's rarely the type of course that we're talking about here or that we're seeing people right. have success with today. But that concept may still be influencing how people think about creating their courses. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of shifting from... A, a content creation mindset, even though you are still creating content, to more of, of an experience design or in some ways even an event design mindset. Yeah, and I think it's all related to the goal that the course creator has for whatever it is that they're building. I mean, look, if all you're trying to do is make a quick buck, then that format of just creating courses and whatever happens, happens. Sure, that works. But mm-hmm. as Michael was saying, the stat is 
only 5% of people complete most online courses. And if you don't want that to be you and you don't want that to be your course, because you do care about the transformation, you do care about the impact that you're creating, as you were saying, you have to create that experience. It's not just about the content. And then the other technique he introduced is this idea of getting participants to reflect on their own motivations and obstacles. And I think it's a valuable technique to coach people to do that self-reflectively mm-hmm. rather than just telling them like, hey, here's some obstacles you might face. Right. So asking people some of the questions he suggested, like how do you get in your own way, right? Or how mm-hmm. might you get in your own way as you seek to get value out of this mm-hmm. course or this learning experience and challenging people to confront that at the outset. And based on that, actually ask for support. It sounds like from what he was saying, they have options based on what are the roadblocks that people bring to them. Like, this is likely to trip me up. Yeah. How can you help me? And they've thought about that and yeah. built certain things in. Yeah. All really interesting stuff. Michael Bungay-Stanier is the founder of MBS Works. To learn more about him, how to begin, and all his other courses, you can head on over to mbs.works. That's mbs.works. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with my co-host, Ari Eni. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Once Upon a Business and Making It. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb and Danny Eni is our executive producer. If you don't want to miss the excellent episodes coming up on Course Lab, make sure to follow us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And are you enjoying our show? If so, go ahead and leave us a starred review. It really does make a difference. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.